encourage you to turn to Psalm chapter 16, or the 16th Psalm. If you're new with us and you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of the black Bibles that are in some of the chairs in front of you and keep it. Put your name in it, make it your own, and use it. And there's two versions of our Bibles. I have one of the thicker ones, and that's on page 453. That's where we're going to be. Psalm 16, we'd love for you to take one of these Bibles. I have to admit to you that I can be a nervous sort of fella sometimes. I'm not nervous right now. I'm not, it doesn't make me too nervous to talk in front of a group like this. Um, I can be nervous because of my health or my kids' health. I can be nervous about them being out late and I'm not sure where they are. My wife out shopping and she forgets her phone, which she does regularly. She's not in here, so she. <laughs> she's with the kids. A life that is safe and sound is what I want. I think you do too. Ponder with me that phrase, safe and sound. Use it in a sentence. We drove from Chicago here, and we drove past Michigan City, and we hit a blizzard, and we white-knuckled it. And barely were able to see. We prayed and we were nervous and we were tense. Going 25 miles per hour. And when we pulled into the garage after that long journey, we sighed. We give thanks. And we said we made it safe and sound. I have a Life360 app that I have all GPS on their phone. And I get a little ding and a notification when they arrive at Jersey Mike's and Flint. Or at the church, or at home, or at your house, because I want to see if they've made it safe and sound. But is the Christian life a life that is safe and sound? The Bible, through testimonies and stories and promises and instruction and through poetry, tell us this. Not safe from earthly perils, but safe in the midst of them. Not safe from agonizing trials, but growth and grace in them and through them. Not freedom from suffering and strength, not, but strength because of them. Not immunity to sickness and disease, but sustaining power with them, not being free from the indignity of death, but confidently hopeful in its final outcome. So yes, the Christian life is a life that is safe and sound in one sense, but not as we to be. Yet all of this is the joyous reality of the Christian life because God our Father raised his son Jesus from the dead in August of last year, so just last year, 
Molly and I had a little getaway to, you know, the beautiful little town of Grand Haven. We went to the west coast of Michigan. Wanted to enjoy the sun and the Lake Michigan beach, and it was a windy, hot, and sunny summer day in late August, a day that makes you think right now, I can't wait for summer. We walked to the pier that went out, it seemed like hundreds of yards, and at the end, there was a beautiful little lighthouse. And as we reached the beginning of the pier, there was a sign that warned us. It warned us of the waves and the riptides and the currents, and it showed pictures of, of adults who had drowned over the last several years, a sign that basically said, watch out to anyone venturing past this point. To add to the gravity of that, I had a friend who had lost his brother who was about my age, a father of three who had been traveling to Michigan and went, went swimming on vacation in Lake Michigan and drowned because of a riptide as he went to rescue his son. So Molly and I walked to the end of the pier on that windy day. Out to the lighthouse, there was a walkway that went around the lighthouse so we walked around it to the far side of that lighthouse. Everything was beautiful. The waves out on Lake Michigan, it looked kind of like the ocean. They were higher than normal and they were beautiful. They didn't come close to us. They lapped upon the pier that kind of tipped out past the lighthouse, probably about 25 feet went back and they were still, the water was 20 feet from us. We were safe and sound. I grabbed my phone out of my pocket. We took selfies. We were facing the lighthouse so we could see the lake behind it. I even have that picture on my desk. Um, it was so nice. It was beautiful, relaxing. We felt safe and sound. We stood there for a few minutes enjoying the sight, enjoying each other's presence. And then we saw it. I think we both spotted it at the same time. It, Molly was the one that spoke up. That wave is really big. And when she said that, we were no longer admiring it. We were fearing. And it was coming at us, not to splash us, but to abduct us. We both fled to the safe and very smooth concrete surface with no handles. Not one place to put your hands on to grab hold of. And the wave hit us. And the wave lifted us. And the wave escorted us unwillingly into Lake Michigan's wild currents and riptides and waters. Safe and sound at that moment? I don't think so. We were not feeling safe and sound. I don't think anyone other than God saw what was happening at that moment. Nobody near us. And in the midst of our panic, we fled for refuge in the lighthouse and it did nothing for us. Zilch. It's not what it was made for. You know our lives can feel like that moment. Everything calm and beautiful normal and smooth, and the waves come and take us for a ride. And it's utter terror and what appears to be disaster. Is that so for you right now? Maybe it's a health crisis, 
financial mistakes or just things outside your control. A domino effect of one trial after another in a short period of time. Relationships that just seem to go upside down. Depression. And emotion, anxiety, worry, frustration. Well, King David, the author of Psalm 16, was not immune to these kinds of trials. He was shaken over and over again. His life was threatened by family members. His countrymen would sometimes sing his praises and then sometimes want to kill him. They would curse him and then bless him. He experienced what he wrote in another psalm, Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he also experienced, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And in this psalm, Psalm 16, we see a refuge that is safe and sound. I want, I want to point you to today a refuge that is safe and sound. That not just for a day out on Lake Michigan, but for every day of your life. Not just for an Easter Sunday afternoon so you can feel a little bit better because the resurrection and, and all of that. Psalm 16 gives us a picture of a Christian safe and sound because his refuge is God. And, he's, and what he does in this song, that's what it is. In some ways, it's a song for the people of Israel to sing and think about and reflect upon as he, he shares three characteristics of a life that see, has sought God for refuge and experiences God as his refuge. And I, I want to bring this to you on this Easter morning because it, it is meant to do a few things for us. It is meant to convict us because as you look at this and hear this message, you'll go, that's not me all the way. I wish I was there, but that's not me. And I, it should convict us. And in convicting us, cause us to look to God and say, God, help me. I, want it. I need to be that way. I need your help. Forgive me for not being this way. So convict us, but also to woo us, to to show us a picture of something so beautiful that we'd say, oh God, I want that. I want that. I don't have that fully, but I want that. Or God, thank you that you are growing to be this in my life. And on this Easter, I want to point you to the hope of the resurrection that brings confident security, that makes us safe and sound. And so in Psalm 16, here we see a person who is safe and sound, and has these three things. And if you had a, one of those worship folders that, you came, that they handed out when you came in, the back sheet of this gives this outline in order for you to follow along a little bit more helpfully. This psalm shows us that this man who is safe and sound has a committed allegiance to God in verses 1 through 4. A content and a confident hope in God, verses 8 through 11. Let's begin with verses 1 through 4, a committed allegiance to God. The psalmist says this. Hear this. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows... Of those who run after another, God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I shall not take on their names on my lips. Here David begins with a prayer and then a declaration of committed allegiance to God. 
He says, preserve me, O God. I just, I want to say this to you, what I think David is saying and what we are to hear on this Easter morning as we come and we, we sing some great songs and we, we celebrate some things and we go, Jesus is risen. Yes, he's risen indeed. It is meant to make a radical difference as in our lives is the person that has that resurrection applied to us that person that has that applied to them is a person that has come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, it, and that believing turns into a type of obedience that says, because I believe you, I now, I'm, we see a security in David because there's a committed allegiance to him. And that allegiance is in, in many ways is a gift that God has given to him, but we see that. And when we see that, we should look at it and say, wow, God, I need this. Look at David's allegiance to God a committed allegiance to God in verses one through four. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. His allegiance is seen in where he commits his security. It's in the Lord. Friends, where are you seeking your security? A lighthouse will not work well in Grand Haven when a wave is coming at you. What is it for you? Is it your money? Is it your family? Is it your accomplishments? Is it your friends? Is it just, you just, you don't want to think about it, that kind of security. David's security was, I have an allegiance to God, and my allegiance to God says when I'm in trouble, I run to God and God alone. That is a mark of the people of God. We run to God and God alone. He is our safety and soundness. You also see his allegiance where he commits his devotion. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. This idea is, I say to the Lord, you're my, you're my boss. I trust in you. I do not seek anything else, but I seek you and you alone as my authority. I, I want to ask us, is, is God your master? Is he your authority? And his allegiance is also in dependence on God. It's independence on God. He says, I have no good apart from you, God. Could we say in our souls, God, today on this April 4th, as you take a walk this afternoon, eat a meal, as you go about your day, maybe sit with people, God, these are good things in my life, but I have my, my true good is in you alone, and I see it every day. And if I don't have you, I'm in trouble. I want you more than anything. God rescued people, and has he rescued you? He rescues you to free you from false safeties and securities, to realize there is no good apart from him. And until you find him in a committed allegiance to him, you'll just be going after empty things. Not only is allegiance in a dependence on God, he shows it, but he also shows that he's so loyal to God's people. And in verse four, he says, as for the saints, I think David's singing here and he's singing and he's thinking about God in his life. And then he thinks about all of the people of God that love God and have been loyal to the Lord. And I think of that in my church. When I gather here together, we are praying back here for you this morning. I'm so thankful for the saints in the land, that, meaning the Christians, those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. They are my delight. They are to be your delight. You are to look around at your church, your people, and say, I love you. 
God has brought us together to follow Jesus together. You are my people. And that's what David says as he rejoices in the Lord his God. He is rejoicing that God is his, his great God, and he is together with people. And then finally he says, my allegiance is so much so that I will no longer bow. I will not take the names of other gods on my lips. I will not offer any sacrifices to them. I will forsake all other things. In verse 5, all the sorrows of those who run after other false gods, they multiply. Oh, that we would have a committed allegiance. You see, what we find from Psalm 16 at the beginning of this is a single-mindedness that God wants every one of us to have. And it will never happen apart from God's goodness coming into our lives and capturing you. Oh, I pray the things that we sang about Jesus Christ, that you would have a single-mindedness, not about any sports hobby, not about any fishing, not about any books or a book club, or any hobbies that you would have, not your career or your children, but your single-mindedness would be, oh, that God, the God is my God. I have no good apart from him. Everything else leads to sorrow if my loyalty is to them. And that is what David sings unto the Lord for. But not only does David have a committed loyalty, or a, a Committed allegiance, an allegiance that is not naturally his, and it's not an allegiance that's naturally ours, but what God works in us. But we find that he has a contented praise. Are you a content person? Oh, there's some things that we shouldn't be content about. We shouldn't be content about our sin and just be there and stay there. We should not be content about some things in our laziness or content about certain bad attributes of our own lives. We shouldn't be content about that, but we should, are you a content person in the, the hard and difficult trials of your life? David was a contented person and in verses five through seven, we see his contentment that is in God that lifts up praise. Look at verses five through seven. And my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. The safe and sound David is not only committed, but he's contented in God. He says, God, you're enough. God, you're my chosen portion. The word contentment is a sweet truth for the Christian. Christian contentment is a sweet, inward, gracious, it's a frame of spirit that has freely submits to God in all the circumstances, good and bad, that take place in our lives. Contentment is a deep satisfaction in the will of God. And do you see David's contentment in verse 5? He says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He would say, not only, not only am I stuck with God, but I, I know him. And I know I choose him. And I choose every plan that he puts in my life and he chooses for me. I know that he's good and his promises are sure. And he works for my good and his glory. And so I trust him. The Lord is my chosen portion. He says in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That's, that's a poetical way of saying God has providentially 
drawn the lines and the circumstances in my life in a way. And at times they were really good and at sometimes really difficult from an outward perspective. They looked like the waves of a storm hitting and shaking him. He says, the Lord has drawn these lines. I have a beautiful inheritance because God is behind it and I trust him. He is my way. I am so thankful for people of God who have young women, young men, old men, old women that I have been in suffering every day. And they have learned to quiet their hearts and say, yes, I pray for healing. But I have found a contentment in this prolonged suffering because my God is near and he would never do anything bad for me. He has worked all things for my good and he will someday take away all pain. David has this contentment. Imagine, friends, to know God in such a way that the things that happen to you tomorrow that you dread, you're able to look at them and say, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who does that? Only the one who is safe and sound in God and who has learned to find that his or her contentment is not found in, it's not found in the absence of trial. His security, her safety is found in the presence of God and his goodness in his life. David says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Here's a picture of David, probably as a leader, going through really hard times. And he's up at night and he cannot stop thinking because he has a problem and he doesn't know what to do. Have you been in that situation? Are you in that situation where you are agonizing over something and you do not know what to do? Have you ever been in that situation and then something just becomes so clear and you felt the relief and the comfort that God just brought peace to you? I think that's what David's describing in his contentment. And see the, the tone of praise in these verses. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Yes, I'm up in the night and I can't sleep. I have this insomnia as I cry out to God over an agonizing trial. But he gives me counsel in the night and, and I bless him. The Lord is my chosen portion. And sometimes it's beautiful children. And sometimes it's difficult trial. But the lines have fallen for me. Nobody can talk that way unless they believe that they have a God who is under, has everything under control and he has our best interests in mind and that he has captured our hearts in such a way like in the first four verses where we can lift up our hands to God and say, I have no good besides you. In you I take refuge. Preserve me. Because if you don't preserve me, I am toast. But God, you are my God and I trust you. What allegiance and what contentment. I wish I could say that I have arrived in the area of Christian contentment, but I haven't. I could be so easily discontented about the circumstances in my life. 
The reality is all the circumstances of our lives will not make us content. When we try to put our hope in those, we may receive the very thing that we wanted. And when we get it, we'd realize how shallow and tin they are. Maybe we were meant to long for something else. Friends, you were meant to be satisfied in something way more than the things that you long for if it's something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You were meant for some, to long for Him. I can at least have this, then I'll be able to make it. If I can at least get here, then I think I could be comfortable. If I think I could have this, if all those things, when you have them, they will not satisfy you. If you haven't learned to find that your satisfaction is in the God of David and the psalm. Last thing I want you to I want to ask you, are you content in God, friends? Brothers and sisters or friends and visitors, are you, do you have a growing contentment in the God who made you and saved you so much so that you've truly looked to him and asked him to save you and forgive you and you've given your life to him? Does he impact Monday morning at work? Does he impact your school? Do you face the trials and the difficulties as an opportunity to please him and know him more? Do you look at this book full of promises? There's the only way in which we grow in this contentment as we grow and understand the character and promises of God, which is the bedrock. And that's why this David, this psalmist can say, I have no good apart from you, but oh, I want you to know this. The Lord is my shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of death, I shall not want because he never leaves me. The last thing that I want you to see in this psalm, the man or woman who is safe and sound, the psalmist who is safe and sound, in the midst of a shaking world, he had a confident hope in God. That, that's, a, that's a phrase that we can use in Christian circles. I have a confident hope in God. It can mean something Amazing, and it can just feel like a cliche, a Christian throwaway. I hope it won't. Look, look, listen to the tone and follow along with me in verses 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me, David says. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure you see already the contentment there. You see the dedication. I have set the Lord, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Look at verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That word Sheol, say, what is that? Unless you've really studied the Bible, you're not really familiar with that. That word means you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. David says, I may go to the grave but you won't abandon me in the grave. In fact, you will not allow me to see corruption. What? Corruption means really decaying, dying. And then he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As a New Testament Christian, 
We're not in David's time. We're thousands of years later. Jesus Christ came. He died and he rose from the dead. And he has called us to be his covenant people. And he has saved us, all who put their trust in him. We can see and have a greater significance in what this song really means. David is safe and sound and he is confident in his hope in God. And every resurrection day, every Sunday is a resurrection day when we gather on the Lord's day because it was the first day of the week when he rose from the dead. See, David's confident hope towards a future was unshakable. And he says this in verse eight. I pray that we'll say this every day. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Have you set the Lord always before you? This is this idea of David's continual reliance and dependence on God. And he says, I have a confidence. I have set him before me. I am always seeking him. I go to work and I'm praying and help for him. I go through a struggle at work. I pray and I'm, he's my help. I drive home and I'm thinking about him. He is my help. I go to bed. I, I'm with my kids. I'm dealing with a parenting problem. Or I'm dealing with my parents who are a problem to me. And I'm, I'm looking to him. I'm dealing with all these circumstances. I have set the Lord always before me. Because this, this book describes God's plan for each one of us to have an, a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with him. You say, that's not the relationship I've had with him. I asked him to save me and I believe him, but I, I don't experience that on a day-by-day, every-hour basis. Oh, I call you to that. I call you to the, to the God of Psalm 16, which is the God of Jesus Christ and the God that is our only God. He calls us to this. And he says, because he is at my right hand, this idea, he is near, he is there, he is for us, he is watching over us. I shall not be shaken. And then he describes such sweet serenity and peace. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my pure. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You won't let your Holy One see corruption. How could you see David's confident hope? Hope. Not the kind of hope I hope we have food today. That, that's, that's mostly confident. I'm very confident, but I'm, I, something could happen. I, I hope to make it home safely today. That's, that's kind of in the air. I mean, it's likely I'm going to make it home, but it's, it's not sure. The Christian hope is a growing, all-satisfying confidence that is true and sure to the depth of your bones. It is a confidence in the future. All my hope is bound up in this. The God of heaven has saved sinners like me and like you. And oh, I want to declare this to you, this hope that you can have. I believe there are probably some of you here today that have heard Jesus and heard about him and maybe even made decisions for him. But by the testimony of your life, you have not followed him in true saving faith. And I call you to the saving grace of God and to the hope of, your, of all salvation. And that is this. 
that we all are sinners and we desperately need a Savior. And Jesus, only hope for life and of death, only hope to have any safety and security, and that safety and security brings us into a kind of relationship that changes everything. Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures and according to what he had said he would do when he talked to his disciples. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day and so defeated death and sin and so secures a promise that must be received and taken. It must be so applied to us when you have a faith in God, so much so that you say, I will now obey him and I will turn to him and I will turn from my sins and I will receive him. And I will not receive anybody else. I will receive him and I want him, this God that is revealed in the life of David. Now I bring, you say, why Psalm 16 on Easter? Because you see, Psalm 16 is a prophecy of Easter. A thousand years before Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, a thousand years before David made this prophecy, and a thousand years later, after Jesus rose from the dead, the passage that Pastor Mike read right before he prayed, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13, it says, David was not talking about himself. He says, said, David has died. David was buried in a tomb and he's there to this day being there for a prophet. He knew that he would have a descendant that would come and he would come and raise and he'd be on the throne. He foresaw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Psalm 16, the security that David could say, I'm safe and sound, though the people may kill me. I am, my hope is in the Lord is because David had a God who raises the dead. And we have a God who causes us to be safe and sound because Jesus rose from the dead. Death is not the final destroyer of our lives because the person that David is prophesying about in verse 10 did not abandon Jesus to the grave. Jesus' body did not see corruption, but on the third day he rose from the dead. And I declare to you, friends, that forgiveness of sins is for you if you will but call on him and you will give your life to him. Repent and be saved, each one of us. Safe and sound. And David finishes this and he says, God, you've shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand is pleasures forevermore. Some people believe that the religious life is the second best life in this life, but maybe good in the life to come. Oh, I want to say to you, the religious life, and I don't like to use that term, I mean the life devoted to God is not second best now and then the good stuff later in heaven. It's both. In God's presence, his fullness of joy and his presence comes to us daily through this book, through his people, by his spirit. And David says, you've shown me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The right hand that I continually look to. The right hand that I am not shaken because I am clinging to God. Oh, friends, where is your hope? Are you safe and sound today? Do you go through this life knowing you're safe and sound? If I die, I'm safe and sound. If, if I go through trials... Oh, I might have a lump in my throat because of them. I might, I might go through tears and pain and anguish, but I know I'm safe and sound. I love this truth. It's incredible. As a Christian, you have no reason to be finally discouraged. You will outlast every trouble you ever face. You can be confident of that. You will outlast every trouble you face if you're truly in Christ. Safe and sound. Back to the story of last August. Molly and I were in the troubled waters of Lake Michigan. Off we went into the waters, first sliding off the concrete pier, scraping and cutting legs and arms and hands as we desperately tried to take hold of something. We were out of control and at the mercy of the sea, or rather, the mercy of him who controls the sea and waves. For just as a wave had lifted us off our feet and took us into the water, so a following wave, and I would say in the providence of care of God, brought us back to a place alongside the pier and near a ladder for us to grab hold of both of us, giving us the ability to climb to safety away from the attacking waves. We were safe and humbled and scraped and wet and relieved and shaken up but safe and sound. And we gave, gave thanks. So may it be in our lives. As Spurgeon was known to have said, whether he said it or not, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. We learn to know a God who, yes, he throws, he takes the waves and will sometimes dash us against rocks to teach us that our only hope is in God, the God who raises the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, he's in control. He is our refuge. He will not abandon us. All who put their faith and trust in God, he will not abandon. Dear believer, I want you to hear this. Your body and soul, both in life and death, is not your own, but belongs to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has, with his precious blood, has satisfied for all our sins and redeemed us from all the power of the devil so that he preserves us that without the will of our Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from our heads. Yes, all things must work together for our salvation. Moreover, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures us of eternal life and He makes us willing, heartily willing and ready to live for Him. This is our true comfort in life and death. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to conclude with a song. But as we do that, I'm going to do, I want to share with you this psalm one more time. Uh, I, I have Psalm 16 memorized mainly because, well, over the years, you're going to learn that there's going to be certain psalms that you're going to want to take to memory. You're going to want to say, hey, this psalm is so transformative or I need it in the hospital bed. I need it with my sick parents. I need it in my trial. Psalm 16 is that for me. It's one of... If I were to say top five psalms, it's Psalm 16. 
And so I, I want to share it with you because I believe God's word is powerful. And if, if you didn't get anything else, I pray that it would just minister to you and it would draw your heart to the God of David and that you would be safe and sound in this God. And so here's what the psalmist says, and then we're going to sing. We're going to sing of the fact that God holds us fast. Our safety and soundness is in him. Here's what David says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God, they'll multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out nor take their names upon my lip. The Lord is my chosen portion. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, I pray that you would help us to know that God. Help me, help everyone here to know that God. Help us to know that there is no contentment, but in knowing that God personally like David did. And we can do that through our Lord Jesus Christ who lived and died and is risen and is reigning. In Jesus' name, amen.